G'day, I'm Osher Ginsberg. And I'm Charlie Clawson. We are two dads who, when we found out we were going to be dads, went looking for a podcast that could help us navigate what it means to be a dad in the modern world. I mean, there were parenting podcasts, but they all seemed to be aimed at mums, or at the very least, mums and dads. Yeah, there were no podcasts for dads specifically, and certainly not dads who want to be hands-on and do their share of raising their children. So, we started Dad Pod. A podcast by dads, for dads who don't want to be shit dads. <laughs> Each week we share our own stories from the good and the bad to the thermonuclear tantrums, as well as talk with some of the biggest experts in the field to help all of us become better dads. So if you're a dad, a mum dad, or a dad to be, search Dad Pod where you get your podcasts. The following episode of Fofop is rated MA. It contains alternating hosts, a rotating roster of guests, and mild coarse language. Fofop advises that it is not suitable for anyone under the age of 15 or anyone who came here looking for one of those highbrow NPR-type podcasts. Minors must be accompanied by a parent or guardian. This is John Deeg speaking. Hello and welcome to Fofop. I'm Charlie Clawson and my guest this week is uh, returning to Fofop. He's a comedian, he's a writer, he's a Hawthorne supporter. Don't hold that against him. <laughs> Michael Chamberlain, welcome back to Fofop. Charles, how are you? I, I think maybe uh, last time we talked was actually on the podcast. You could call me up to catch up or something. That's pretty much it. In fact, Make money my- out of it. My, yeah, my, that's people uh, supporting our Patreon to hear me catch up with the friends. I'd say that that is the majority of uh, the people I speak to on Fofop because I don't have time to talk to them in any other sense. It's a bit like that, isn't it? Hey, it's your birthday I, on Sunday. Hey, well, it would have been my birthday two days ago by the time people hear this. Um, I got a surprise birthday. present this morning. Jem's actually in America. Oh, really? She organized a present. Yeah. Um, where is she, uh, she at? Got me, I got me. She, where is she at? Hmm. Uh, well, let me test your wrestling trivia. And I know it's a bit of a trick question, but if I was to say... She's she, she, parts unknown. <laughs> yeah, she's in parts unknown, deepest, darkest. <laughs> now, she... Uh, it's it, it's considered, it's not technically, but the home of the rock. Oh, the home of the rock. Where was he billed as coming from? It's Miami, Florida, wasn't he? Miami, Florida. That's oh. where she is. She's in Miami, Florida. Uh, where, yeah, wow. What's taking her there? Uh, it's a, bit, uh, a, a, a bit of a beaten path, you know what I mean? Like, not that it's uncommon to go to Miami, but like, it's not a regular uh, visit, you know what I mean? No, it's, uh, well, she's shooting for an American brand. That's why. Yeah, cool. Uh, when she can, she tries to convince people to shoot in Australia. Yep. Um, by saying, hey, you know, it's almost indistinguishable from America. And generally, the agency liked that because they like the idea of a free trip to Australia. But in this instance, yeah, sure. That was a very particular brand, specific brand. What's and, the uh, uh, product? Uh, I don't think or can I can you say. say. Probably yeah, can't sure. say. But it's very American and they were shitting in one of their storefronts and it would be harder to recreate that here with yeah, production sure. design than just go there. Is so, she going to um, go to Cuba? Um, yes. No. No, no. She's Apparently it's very hot over there. Like it's just stifling yeah, yeah. 40 degrees nonstop. Mm. So she said there's these beautiful beaches and hotel pool and stuff, but can't go outside because it's too damn hot yeah sure sure um i wonder if you can go like like go to cuba on a whim you can now i think maybe it's different for australians i don't know 
but I think we can just hop on a trip. Hop on, hop on. Well, I mean, what, what was so? Why could Americans not travel there? Was it because it was an embargoed country, so you can't? Yeah, yeah. I think it actually. I'm or is it more this. that you can go there, but you're on your own? Like if something happens. Well, I think uh, if I remember correctly, and your American listeners I know this better than myself, but um, I feel like you weren't. It wasn't illegal to go there, but it was like illegal for illegal to spend money there. If that makes sense. Right. So I think that was the main reason. So you could you could go, but not you spend money. Technically allowed to spend money. Yeah. Um, well, that's just cash, right? Like, well, I suppose I suppose if it's a, a economic embargo, then it's you're providing to the economy, aren't you? Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think it'd be fascinating to go to Cuba. I'd love to. Did you ever see? I mean, it's not Cuba, but did you ever see that documentary about how Florida was built off the back of like cocaine? Imports. Oh, really? It's called Cocaine Cowboys. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You. Basically, because it was before, you know, really before anyone knew what cocaine was, they were just like, and it became this really big party drug in, in obviously the east, eastern states of America. And it would come in through the Florida Keys. And so you had, because it exploded so quickly, you had these drug dealers, you know, and there was no stringent kind of air, you know, like airline security. So, you know, they started yeah, yeah. just flying it in first. And then, they started having to be a bit more creative, but then they were bringing in such big quantities. It was just like actual like giant ships were coming in just filled with yeah, cocaine. Wow. But wow. there was so much money in Florida at the time that was that was cash. You had all these like dealerships, like car dealerships and restaurants and basically just like hundreds and hundreds of fronts going up like in Florida developed really, really quickly and all via cash. And so then oh, yeah. you had this, then you had this sort of war against drugs start and they had to crack down and it was like, we can't do this. Like our entire city is running off this, off this like black market money. And there's yeah, one, yeah. I remember one guy telling a story about how he had so much cash and nowhere to put it because he couldn't put it in a bank. So he was like just going into the forest and just like digging holes and burying hundreds and thousands of dollars. Well, didn't, when, like, um, didn't Escobar like lose millions of cash just through rats eating through it? Because they could <laughs> yeah, have to go and store it in these ways. I actually flicked through I got into Netflix there, so I just flicked through American Made, that Tom Cruise one. Yeah. So, um, yeah. Essentially, he's doing that, yeah. And that kind of led to, like, the Iran-Contra kind of thing where they, uh, what, sold weapons to the weapons Iranians to, to sell yes. back to the Nicaraguans, yeah. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I think he had, he had a similar thing. I think, isn't there a, I only kind of flicked through it, but isn't there a scene, like, where they like, just, like, money just flying around his backyard? Because, like, There's so many... Like, of those movies, like that could be Blow with Johnny Depp. That could be The Wolf of Wall yeah, Street. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, Lots of scenes of like white Americans and they, just. They fly, Goodfellas, same thing. Like they fly yeah. high and then you get to like the third act and you go, oh, how's the downfall going to happen? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. I mean, that guy ended up getting killed by, uh, he got killed by, I think he Escobar people in the end, ended up killing him. Tom Cruise. Colombians, yeah. I think Barry I can't actually remember. I, I've seen that film. I just can't remember anything about it because it was, yeah, it fit very squarely into that genre of 80s it drug. It kind of came and went, didn't it? Like, it had all the hallmarks of like a, a nice little hit for him. But, um, yeah, it, uh, it kind of yeah, disappeared very quickly. But, yeah, I think Tom, came. people won't see Tom Cruise films now unless he's putting his life in danger. Like, that is, that's clearly so the standard. Weird. It's so fucking weird, that stuff. <laughs> like, it's like, I'm going to hang on to an airplane. <laughs> or I'm going to be at the front of the tallest, bu- tallest building in the world. Like, I don't know. I, I don't get off on, like, going, that's him. I just kind of think to myself, oh, that's really dangerous. <laughs> <laughs> you shouldn't be doing that. You're 60. 
But he's, I mean, he's actually smart. Like, think about where his reputation was, Dude. what, 10, 15 years ago, the yeah. jumping on the couch kind of yeah. era. the crazy Scientologist. We saw too much. We saw mm. too much of Tom Cruise. And he's yeah. like, people like me as a movie star. I'm just going to stick with that. It is just weird, though, that he would pivot to action star, like you say, at, at 60 years old. Yeah. Have you seen that, like, B-roll or uh, outtake of him breaking his ankle? doing like a building jump in Mission I Impossible. I have, yeah. yeah Not I the I new have, yeah. one coming out, the previous one, where he's jumping from rooftop to rooftop. And it's like, mm. Jesus fucking Christ. Like, there are grandparents your age. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, no. Have you seen Maverick? I haven't seen it yet. I really want No. It. no I feel like it's a big screen film, though. Like, I feel like I shouldn't be watching on a streaming thing. Yeah. No, I agree. I actually was contemplating um, uh, for my birthday taking myself to see it on my own. Gemma oh, yeah. was actually asking, oh, what are you going to do for your birthday? Are you going to have dinner with anyone? And I was like, to be honest, like the perfect perfect birthday gift would be like I get a babysitter and then I can just go to a movie on my own and watch literally, the whole thing. You literally and, get to sit in a dark room by yourself. Yeah, away from my family. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've just spent today, uh, like I am that classic um, dad that's like, you know, there's – you've got a million jobs to do and you just keep putting them off. And every time yeah. Jim asks me, have you done that job? I'm, I'm like, no. Yeah, One of the good, jobs um, I had to do. That's called ADHD, mate. I should have looked at. <laughs> One of the jobs I've been asked to do is um, when you've got a toddler, you've got to anchor your furniture, like chest of drawers, cupboards, because they, as they get older, they start to climb. And, oh, yeah, sure, so you sure, want like, to like the TV and stuff. Yeah, so you want yeah. to strap it to the wall. Yeah, yeah. And uh, so I did this. I always do this. I don't need to read the instructions. I can figure it out. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. Like I got, so I'm drilling like holes in the wall and holes in the back of the wardrobe. And first attempt, that was like, got the, oh man, I'm, I've got this completely wrong. Had the brackets the wrong way around in the wrong spot, you know, not secured into the the studs in the wall. So thank God for polyfiller. So I went down and like <laughs> to fill up all the holes in the walls and repaint them. Oh, I just done. So wasted an hour there. But then I was looking at it and the way that the the child strap, like these furniture straps, go is you're meant to kind of do like two per furniture item so you if you've got a wardrobe you'll you put two straps at the back so if it leans forward like it's been held there yeah sure i was like well, you, i mean two straps seems like overkill one strap will do it right <laughs> <laughs> one strap will do it and you hear a crash <laughs> so, bang and you go ah oh, <laughs> so I've done this like half-assed, not half-assed job, but I, I tested the uh, structural integrity and it does hold up with one strap. <laughs> so I, I really, I, I've done it, but to my specifications. And, and like, look, you might say that's terrible parenting and I'm endangering the life of my child. But when we bought this place, two of the wardrobes were, were already, they left two of the wardrobes in two of the bedrooms and they had them tethered to the wall with a very simple, like single strap and uh, uh, oh, okay. like nail screw combo. Did they have, so I've upgraded by going to Bunnings and getting a fish one. Did they but have small If they kids could do it well? with one strap, yeah, they had small kids as well. So I figured yeah, if sure. it was good for our previous owners. Sure, sure. And what, what, how me. many things have you got to do? Have you, have you done the TV or like is it just like the wardrobe? TV's or? fine because it's bolted on a bracket to the wall. It's, yeah. not, it's not freestanding. So I've just done wardrobe in the spare room, uh, chest of drawers in our bedroom and her wardrobe. When so her wardrobe, I was, the, I was the most kind of like everything in her room is is like that's what i put most attention to but (laughs) our bedroom i'm like fuck this we're probably going to renovate here anyway so i just like just stuck it up with a minimum of fuss when did it become a thing that you had to put your tv on the wall like what did that uh like when flat screens were invented i I guess yeah 
I don't want to put my TV on the wall. I like it where it Why is. Why not? I don't know. I like it where it is. It's on a, it's on a bench. Is that your TV behind you? No, no. I'm at mum and dad's place. I'm in Melbourne. Right. So. Okay. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, no, TV on the wall is good. It's like, you know, you, you look up at it. It's like you're at the movies. Yeah. <laughs> um, Although when watch, I did. Um, did yeah. you watch the Neighbours finale? Uh, no, I did not. Did you? Mate, you're a cast member. Yeah, I went to, um, I got a friend. I wasn't invited. <laughs> I got a friend Bay who has a podcast called Nay Buzz, uh, oh, yeah. which is very entertaining. You should listen to it. But um, um, uh, so we went down to Fed Square with her and a few of her mates and sat in the cold and watched it. But it was actually it was actually really cool. It was very heartwarming and nice. And um, can I give spoilers? Yeah. Uh. Yeah. Fuck it. I mean. Yeah. Come on. Yeah. But like. Well, spoilers. Anyone who doesn't want to know, if you've got your neighbours like saved on your yeah, TV or whatever, off. yeah, yeah, don't switch off forward, now. Fast forward fifteen go. minutes. Yeah. yeah, but I. Uh, but they, let me guess: uh, is the spoiler everyone comes back? Well, they did all come back. Yeah, like there was the Brug and Holly Valance met each other in London. Uh, from I think it was in London, and then um, Mike, yeah, well, Guy Pierce comes back, and then he ends up with Plain Jane's Super Brain. Yeah, and like it was kind of building for like the whole episode, and everyone, everyone in the crowd's like going, "Make a move, Mike! Make a move!" And then um, Kylie and Jason comes back at the very end. I heard they, Kylie had no dialogue. She said a few words, but I, oh. I, yeah, I mean, <laughs> she's a a fifty four year old mechanic in Brisbane, and uh, <laughs> and she, she looks like with Botox. And, um, but yeah, I don't know if it was like kind of we can't get a. I mean, I'm sure she could, if she, she could. I mean, she'd have a bit of an English twang now, but like she, surely she could, you know. I mean, there's offer it up I, a bit. Of but course, they, and she was an actor for like ten or yeah. fifteen or twenty and years. They, I'm sure, she could do an Aussie accent. I mean, they, I, I imagine they did this because they kept, I think they kept it a secret from the cast, except for a few of them, because at the end, it's kind of clear that they're in the same shot with Stephen Dennis and Harold, mm. uh, but then they have kind of Guy Pierce kind of cut in. I love how you use one actor's real name, one actor's character name. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Paul well, Robinson and Harold. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I, I'll tell you, I, I used to work in a bottle shop when I was about... 18 to about 20. And I do remember one day people would come in and like ask me like, you know, we're having chicken. Like what wine do you recommend? And it's like, I don't fucking know. I'm 18. I barely started drinking myself. And, you know, as if I'm drinking wine, you know, but I remember, I, and you used to blag your way through it and just be like, I'd, I'd get the one that's like popular, you know, and go, Oh, people like, you know, like this one, you know, but, um, Steph and Dennis came in one night and, um, and, uh, he asked, you know, we're having beef, you know, what do you recommend? And I'm like, come on, mate. And anyway, I was going through the routine of like, oh, this one and this one. And he's gone to me, and not in a mean way, but he was like, you don't know what you're talking about, do you? And I was like, nah, mate, <laughs> I got no idea. It's a very Paul Robinson <laughs> thing to say. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then he, and yeah, yeah. Then he kind of burnt down the bottle shop for insurance <laughs> or something. But, um, but Ian Smith as well. I remember years ago, I made some sketches for the Logies and we made one for like each kind of the idea was that each network had a, a camp was like a campaign office. So mm-hmm. like the ABC, um, was like Adam Hills and Andrew Denton and like, um, and they were low budget. They had a fax machine and stuff like that. And then like channel 10 was like cool and hip and groovy. Yeah. And, um, and so we got Ian Smith to come in and do a bit in the sketch. And the the bit was like about um, they were filming like a Logie ad for him, and he had to push the blue button. Remember those ads? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and the young hip kind of 
almost like at it, that guy was like going, you know, oh, not quite, not quite. And he kept on calling him Harold. And, and they were improing and the Harold, like he kind of cracked it. And he was like, it's not, and my name is not Harold. I'm Ian Bishop. Oh no, no, I'm Ian Smith. And he even <laughs> fucked up his own name. <laughs> it was hilarious. <laughs> and they're just kind of mucking around. And like, they had this break. And he's like, no, oh, who am I? <laughs> but he fucking Alan went Dale, it. Like it was hilarious. Alan Dale grew up in um, Brighton where I grew up. Well, not he was on the street, up. wasn't he? No, that was another. That was the dude from Cop Shop, Mark Lee. Oh, okay. Mark Lee, what's his name? Andrew Lee, I forget. Um, yeah, oh mate, my suburb was filled with celebrities. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, got- uh, but but I remember distinctly, like when Neighbours was huge in like I don't know, like eighty seven, eighty eight, so yeah. the Scott and Charlene years. Seeing him at our Franklin's, like the local supermarket, and I remember. Um, I would so I would have been like ten ish, nine or nine or ten. And I said to my dad, oh, my God, that's like Jim Robinson from Neighbours. And my dad was like, didn't know who I was talking about, was staring at him. And I was like, Dad, please don't stare. He's, you know, he's on Neighbours. And my dad has kind of like, I don't know why, very loudly, he's like, oh, it's not like he's anyone who's important. He's a bloody actor. It's not like he's done anything. It doesn't save the life or anything. I'd like said it loud enough yeah, for Alan fucking- Dale to hear. I mean, no son of mine is going to grow up and have a wasteful <laughs> career like that. <laughs> Pointless. I'd rather be dead. Well, it <laughs> looks like you got your wish. Well, they, I mean, you think about it, like they, uh, you know, it was a massive show. And I mean, yeah, even, even bigger in the UK, you could argue. And, um, yeah. And I'm, I'm, I'm sure they weren't making huge money. Now, I'm sure like your Toadies and your Carl Kennedys and Susans and stuff who've been there for, you know, 20 something years are on, a, are on a good wicket. Like I imagine like Alf from Home and Away would be on a Money good was wicket. still. When I did it, the money was still good. Yeah. Like the, I was on it. Oh, I can't even remember. I think it was 2008. I did like a three-month stint and I had a friend. Oh, was it that long? No, Brett, yeah, Brett Tucker was on it for a few years. And I know Brett yeah. was on a pretty good income. And that was probably the end of like really good incomes on Aussie TV, like the the fees of just not what they used to be. Well, I am doing very well, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> um, as, I, as I stay at my parents' place. <laughs> I, but when I was doing um, Home and Away, on one of the sets, you know, they have like all the props and there was a bookshelf and there was Jason Donovan's autobiography. Oh, yeah. And so over the course of like three weeks in between takes and stuff, oh, I would just read, read a chapter. So I read yeah, all yeah. of Jason. And I don't think Jason Donovan ever did Home and Away. Um, but he sort of talked about like, yeah, it was definitely bigger in just on a population basis in the UK. Yeah, and yeah. also they played it twice a day. I think it was yeah. like there's a midday repeat and then a after dinner screening. Yeah, but but the talk, but he was sort of saying that it, it, that kind of thing wouldn't really happen. Oh, I guess, I guess it. No, I probably would. Well, I don't know when he wrote his book, but it's definitely not like you can do a soap and that's your foot in the door. But to actually be famous for that soap. You know, they were like getting hounded in the street, him, him yeah, and Kylie, yeah. and then yeah. all these offers came in. Like he was basically getting offered everything coming off that, which is pretty unusual. Well, there's the huge kind of West End kind of panto scene as well. You know what I mean? Like I had yeah. a mate who worked on it years ago, and she would go off at Christmas time and do a month of pantos. And, you know, um, mm. it was massive. It was, uh, there was another friend. Um, uh, actually, I've got a bit of a neighbor's connection. Okay. There's, Beck, I think her name is. She played Hannah. She took over my room 
when I moved out of a share house about 15 years right. ago. Um, but there was a friend of ours, um, Madeline West, who um, I, I was on a sketch like with Skid Outs years ago and we filmed some stuff at Nardawadding where they do film Neighbours. Mm. And we, um, uh, I think we did some like Star Wars sketches. And, um, yeah. and Madeline came in during break and just said, g'day to us. And um, she put on a Darth Vader helmet and one of the blokes who, you know, very big on comic books and Star Wars life. When she left the room, he said, he said, seriously, that's, that's the hottest thing I've ever seen in my entire life. <laughs> <laughs> it was so weird, that studio out in Nunawadding. It was like, it was, it was such a shithole and it kind yeah, of yeah. in the middle of nowhere. If you're not from Melbourne, like yeah, yeah. Vermont South is like, it's really embedded in the sort of Eastern suburbs, but like the suburbia. It. And- it was like, um, because they used to make Robe out there. So yeah. you go out for a taping every now and then. And um, I just loved it. Like, no matter who you are, you could be Beyonce, you could be Matt Damon. Yeah, you you're going be, to this shitty brown brick. <laughs> Where they had this, like, cafe that was only open from, like, you know, 7 in the morning till 1. And it was just, like, tuck shop food. Just, like, this yeah, shitty yeah. Bay Marie yeah, and yeah. lollies you had to pay for and stuff. And what I, do you think about that I'm, stuff? Like... Like, like TV students back then were like actually operating studios, you know, like had stuff constantly going, you know, like, um, yeah, you know, when, back in when Neighbours would have started, like it wouldn't have just been Neighbours, it would have been, you know, probably Young Talent Time, kind of Bingles, the news would have um, been there, like yeah, sitcoms, like um, late, um, late for school. One of the things um, I enjoyed was like uh, the I got Bob Morrison's. Oh no, that was Channel Nine. Well, I got to work at Channel Nine and kind of in the final final few months of that building like in in richmond in melbourne the and bendigo like, street yeah and it was, it was actually you know it was i was actually happy i was there for that kind of final bit just by the fact i love all that stuff they kind of walking around and i used to go exploring when i got bored and if there was a door yeah. open i'd walk through it and look through it and like the um and you know the stories that people would tell you that you know, would tell you like you know <laughs> had been there for 30 years you know like when the yeah. money was everywhere um yeah. but like yeah it was really cool like all the little nooks and crannies i had support them all because it was it was awesome like all the history that was the same at um well street channel seven used Mm. to have a studio on well street before they went to the docklands yeah and that was like it felt like it was on the verge of being condemned this is in like the mid 2000s yeah yeah i remember just going for an explore one day and opening a door and it was just a room filled with broken photocopiers like it must have been 20 years worth of photocopiers yeah, just wow. like hundreds of them just stacked up in this room it's like well, if i remember correctly, what's going to happen here i think fox footy has taken over a part that used to be part of channel seven if i remember correctly it might have been where you did blue healers actually but yeah. um they've, they've that's where the man oh man pool was yeah got to, on, okay. in that studio yeah so they've they've, well, they've converted that build they've been there for a while now but um, but yeah, like those old TV shows, even um, Sydney Channel Nine. Like, I have not worked there at Willoughby, but like did a did a bit there. Um, and um, yeah, it's just kind of cool, like walking around and you know seeing all the old rooms and studios. And yeah, yeah I love that stuff. This is this is the coffee table that Don Lang would lie under. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, my dad has a slight connection to Channel Ten's opening in that he. Channel 10, I think, I worked on a show that was like 50 years of 10, 40 years of 10, 50 years of 10. So that's, say, 1963 or 4. And um, uh, Dad has a connection in that he didn't go to the opening night of Channel 10, but he drove his friend's girlfriend to Nutterwanting for the opening night party. (laughs) So (laughs) he's 
his mate couldn't pick her up. And so he gave her a lift uh, to Nutterwining when it was like, you know, um, brand new. Yeah, sheesh. But yeah, so so who would have been on the show when you were there? Like, I mean, there would have been Carl and Toadie. And stuff uh, it so, was, so yeah, Carl and Susan were very well established. Tom Oliver. Um, yeah. I was actually chatting to Adam Swire a couple of weeks ago and telling him how <laughs> I made a mistake because it was a shared green room, a mm-hmm. communal green room. And um, when I was in there doing my guestie, I just sat in a chair and like someone came up and said, you got to get out of the chair, man. That's Tom Oliver's chair. <laughs> I was like, oh, right. I said, but there's lots of other chairs. Just get out of that one. That's Tom's. <laughs> and so there was a specific chair that Tom would sit in and read the paper. Yeah. Um, it was the era, it was actually coming out of a pretty good, there was an era in the early 2000s or mid 2000s, I remember, when Neighbours got really wacky with the storylines and was stuff. Margo like, there? Yeah, Margot had just started, actually. Okay. I remember, because I remember distinctly coming home and saying to Jim, oh, this new girl started on Home Night. She's gorgeous, but she's a terrible actor. Yeah, I don't she's going to be nothing. Far. It's going to be nothing. Yeah. <laughs> I just remember she had this habit when she was acting, she would, her eyes would go up and to the side, up and to the side. Like, I think it was just like almost like a nervous yeah. tick where she found I'm it, trying to think you know, I think it was her first job. So she probably would have been like, you know, a bit overwhelmed, but like yeah, she sure, couldn't maintain sure. eye contact. But you, I do also remember her being lovely. Like I saw her quite a few times, you know, years after having done that little guestie, and she would remember who I was, and she was always, she was always. I was about pleasant. to say, do you reckon she'd know who you are? These days, no way, no way. I mean, what? the last time I saw her would have been over ten years ago. I'll give her a call. Um, yeah, I well, I, got, I did have a number in my phone for a while, and I remember there was a point where I just. Dialed it just to see if it would connect, and it did not. <laughs> it did not connect. In fact, I think I'm on a some like ASIO yeah watch list. Uh, so she just started, and then it was the Kim Valentine was kind of well established, uh, and then the younger kids, Caitlin, Stacy. Ah, uh, yeah. She's probably one of the big stars to come out of that era, and there was a few others. They're all really good. They're all. It was very nice. But did you have a love interest like you or Pyro? Weren't you? Yes, Carla Bonner. Yep, Carla Bonner. So the storyline was that, so Toadie and Steph's, what was her surname? Steph, whatever. Steph had broken up and then she started dating this firefighter, me, Jay Duncan. Um, And meanwhile, there's these mysterious fires. (laughs) Were they in Ramsey Street or were they just in Erinsborough? No, outside, outside. Um, Steve Bastoni was also and Imogen Bailey. I remember them. They were also oh, okay. yep. you know, yep. doing it at the time. Yeah. Um, yeah. So we would, I, I actually can't remember what was going on. There was some big bushfire. They also were killing off a whole bunch of cars. So a bunch of cars were getting to the end of their contracts. So I was the catalyst for getting rid of a bunch of um, uh, 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 cast members. Um, but I don't remember what happened. I think I got caught but then i escaped and then i tried to stab toady with a pair of scissors but steph oh. got in the way so i ended up stabbing steph oh and then um natalie blair came in while i was in the hospital bed and told me that i was a loser <laughs> to rack off or something. natalie blair wow yeah yeah she was she was logie massive. winner natalie blair yeah she was massive for a while wasn't she yeah yeah um yeah so that was uh, i was not i was not Asked to come back and do the finale. I was a bit disappointed. I thought and that maybe I could come back and finish the job on Toady. How big were the hours? Like how much how much were you working? Like I can't I'm, remember. Yeah. And it all But is it like it a all, seven AM start or is it like a gentleman's depends. hours? 
No, it's definitely a 7 a.m. start. Like yeah. it's, you know, a 12 hour day. Generally, the way soaps work is because they're obviously shooting out all the locations and all the storyline. Like there's probably ABC storylines going on with the, you know, 20 odd cast members. Yeah. And so you'll probably have, like, you'll be contracted for a minimum amount of days per week. So the sweet spot, like someone like a, like a Georgie Parker or a Dr. Carl or a Susan would be on a pretty high minimum. So it's like they're getting paid for five days a week, regardless if they work the five days or not. So it incentivizes the production to use them as much as possible because that's yep. their big stars. But at the same time, it's not always possible and it just works out that, you know, you know, Susan might have a two-day week but she's getting paid for five. And that's what generally how they reward the kind of either the big stars or the, or the long-termers. Yeah, sure. Um, but generally, like when I was doing Home and Away, I would probably have two heavy days a week. Mm-hmm. On a big week, it's unlikely I'd do five days a week. A, a big week would be four days and it would be two heavy days and then two medium days. But more often than not, it was two heavy days and one kind of lightish to medium day, so three days a week. And when you've gone to the UK, have you been recognised for like Home and Away work or like Neighbours yeah, work? Yeah, it's or- funny actually. When Gemma and I went back to visit the town she grew up in, so she's from a little town called Kelso, it's in the borders of Scotland. Uh, population, I don't know, like 5,000 or something, Cobblestone Street. It's a very cute, little picturesque Scot- Scottish town. But, um, yeah, I, I was I, I caused quite a stir. <laughs> and I can imagine why. Like, it's the last thing you expect to see yeah, yeah. walking around this little Scottish town is the principal from Summer Bay High School. Yeah, sure, sure. You would, though. Yeah, you kind of – sometimes when you see someone, like, often I find it like when I see, like, a – like a footballer or something like at the shop. And I'm kind of like, you context. go like, yeah, you're, you're just, you're not meant to be here. Like yeah, you're meant to be yeah. on a field. Yeah. Like it's just kind of funny. Like you go, oh yeah, someone so needs milk for their coffee as well. You know, like, yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Gotcha. So what they, they made of mine, they freak out. Matt, or did Matt, they, with, were they kind of like. Not- oh, no, Scots are pretty like, uh, they're pretty, they, they were, they were pretty, everyone was very low key. There was one woman, in a supermarket, like the checkout lady who insisted I sign like this bit of cardboard she ripped off a yeah, box. Yeah. Like, yeah. I can't imagine that anyone's souvenirring like this half torn, yeah, yeah. yeah. like edge of a cardboard box, but she wanted me to sign that. But uh, no, no, everyone was quite polite about it. I think that they, it was just, you know, a novelty to have someone mm. from home and away in town. A lot of people didn't know what I was doing there. And then I'd explain, oh, my wife's actually Scottish and she's from here. And then I would, they would ask who it was and I'd say, and they don't remember because Gemma got the fuck out of there yeah. <laughs> when she was 18. <laughs> I never looked back. Uh, I do remember going, there's a little town called Peebles. It's really picturesque, another beautiful little Scottish like hamlet. And um, we went for a walk along the river and we sort of, you know, got to a bridge and we crossed the bridge and went to walk back the other side of the riverbank. And as we were walking down, um, to the river there were these three guys just like in a ute or whatever just like in the back just drinking beers and i sort of started walking down and jem just sort of grabbed me by the shirt she's like don't don't go don't and i'm like it's fine like walk around them she's like no no don't (laughs) she's gone this is a really violent town and those guys will definitely (laughs) say something and you'll say something back and they'll hear your accent they'll kick the shit out of you and throw you in the river i was like are you serious she's like yeah, just trust me. Just trust me. And every Scottish person I know, I've asked them about that town. They're like, oh, yeah, man. What the fuck were you doing walking around there? <laughs> you were yeah, an idiot. Wow. wow. Just walking around like a normal person. The biggest fight I've ever seen was in a KFC in Edinburgh in 1998, I reckon. 
and I was at the counter and um, about five or six kind of teenagers came in and they were kind of trying to get away from like another five or six teenagers and there was a bit of kind of kerfuffle at the counter and then all of a sudden it was just fucking on. Like they were just like chicken was flying everywhere. <laughs> and and I went out. I, I remember seeing a chair thrown across the room and, you know, the back end of the chair that you lean on. Um, I saw it hit a girl in the face, like a kind of teenager oh. kind of girl. And then I, I went out into the, the, the backyard, like where the bins were, and kind of waited yeah. for it to kind of settle down. And I remember like two or three of the kids in the fight kind of, and like, well, I think I was like 20, and they were like maybe 15 and mm. 16. And like two or three of them came out into the backyard in the, where the bins were. And the kind of realization on their face of like, ah, like it's a dead end. And they're like, going, yeah. oh, we got to go back in and fight our way out. <laughs> and oh, and no. then. By the time I got back out into the actual KFC, like the windows were smashed, like the whole place was wrecked. Hell. And the the girl, unfortunately, had like, you know, massive, like, you know, uh, uh, fractured cheekbone kind of thing. And mm. I overheard her, uh, the cops were there and I overheard her um, say to them, like, um, oh, I don't really go out that much. And I'm like, oh, you're never going out ever again. <laughs> <laughs> but like this whole place was destroyed within like, you know, five, 10 minutes. If the cops had rocked up that quickly, maybe they rocked up really quickly, or maybe I just stood in that backyard for like ten minutes. I don't know, but um, but yeah. Gemma's told like- me like horror stories of working in a pub in uh, I don't know if it was Edinburgh or I know she studied in Glasgow for a little bit, but when she first came out here and um, we started dating, and I said, oh yeah, well, I'm into the football. She was like, fuck that, no way, because her experience of football yeah, sure, sure. was Rangers versus Celtics, yeah, and yeah. she said like. It was just a bloodbath. Like, yeah. you know, multiple times the police would have to come in and there'd be some bar staff or some security person would have to go to the station because yeah, they'd yeah. witness someone get stabbed or this shit kicked out of them. It's like, I can't really imagine what it would be like. Well, that was, I mean, that was 98. Like nowadays, like if I was in Edinburgh and a bunch of teenagers started fighting, they'd be like, they've all got knives. Like I went to, yeah. um, uh, I went to London for Christmas in 2019 actually very luckily to go and see my um, brother and sister-in-law and like, you know, we kind of got to do it before the pandemic and everything. But um, mm. uh, I was um, just catching a bus home and um, I got on and there were like, um, there were kind of two kind of 20 something Italian women and like two 50 something Italian women. And like one of the 20 something and one of the 50 something were kind of standing up and yelling at each other. And I didn't really think much of it. And then kind of the bus pulled up about two stops later and they were punching on. And I was like, in my head, I was like, I don't know if you you ever see like a fight, like you kind of go, if I try and break it up, like if they, if they come for me, like, can I defend myself? And I was like, I reckon I, I reckon I'll be okay. But if they were like London teenagers, I'd be like, you're on your own. I'm fucking out of here. Yeah. But then I kind of got in between them. And I managed to separate them, but they had each other by the hair. And so, yeah. like, you kind of – I kind of would get them apart, but then they'd have the hair and stuff like that. But I also – and then I kind of got off after about a few minutes. Like, I was kind of like – just I kind of just kind of kept them separate, really. And then yeah. – but I got the impression, like, that they knew each other and, like, were, like, related, you know? Like, I kind of got the impression, like, they were, like – they looked a bit touristy and 
and I got the impression like it was like a mum and a daughter and a mum and a daughter, like an aunt or something. And like they just punched on on a bus. And because <laughs> when the cops came, like the bus driver pulled open, the cops were there. And like, but they weren't like separated. Like it wasn't like they, mm. they knew each other, you know? And it was just like this weird thing of like going, I'm, I feel like they're on holiday together and they've gone back to the hotel that night and they've just been like, hey, we uh, we punched on earlier today. It was just this very uh, bizarre How thing. often do you see there'll be some story about a brawl outside a wedding? And it's like, uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. if it's just, like, it's so common and it's yeah, like, well, yeah. these people know each other. There, there was one like, I think two months ago in North Sydney. It was just so violent. I was watching the video of it and I was like, but these people would know each other. This is not like random people got together to watch a game of football or just a nightclub. These are all either related or at least, you know, first circle of of knowing each other. And then they punch this shit. I remember the most pathetic fight I ever saw. I hate when fights break out. It makes me feel sick. Yeah. But I did stay and watch one. The the last time I was at the races, and it kind of confirmed that I don't want to go to the races anymore. Oh, yeah. There was two guys, and they must have been – like in their late 50s, no, probably 60s, I reckon. They yep. were old and yep. they were pissheads. And as I was walking past, they were arguing over something. And then one of them just sort of like gave the short shot jab into the other one's jaw. And then he put him in a headlock. But everything was moving like in slow motion. Yeah, it was yeah. at like, yeah. like half the speed. And so they were like throwing punches and stuff and sort of staggering around. And I kind of was like, I have to see how this ends because everyone who is around them, they were just letting him go. Like no one even really seemed that concerned. And these two old guys, like they even, they couldn't even fall to the ground in one motion because I guess their hips and their knees and stuff, they kind of had to like synchronize a sinking to the ground while they were both like squeezing each other and like you occasionally. Have, like, but you have an, a notion of what a fight should look like because you watch boxing or whatever and you kind of go like, yeah. you know, this is how it happens. But when there's one in reality and it's like, no, no, like, they just grapple. Yeah, there's there's just like wild swings, and like eventually someone's going to fall over. Like it's 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 it, yeah. you know you get off balance or whatever, or like um fights at um uh you know football games or stuff or whatever, and mm. it's just like um there's a great argument to be had for um having the higher ground. So if you're in the row behind, <laughs> then you're oh yes, top. it's the Obi Wan Kenobi uh, <laughs> philosophy. <laughs> but it's like you um, gave the higher ground, Anakin. <laughs> But uh, yeah, like fights are like you know they're they're just like this chaotic mess because no one actually knows how to do it unless you're a you know proper professional. You know, did did you watch that? Um, uh, uh, what's the Vice series? Um, darker the dark side of the ring. They, they did an episode about the brawl for all. Vince Russo when he organized the brawl for oh, all. Have yeah. you seen that one? I, I I know of it, but I don't know if I watched that episode in particular. Ah, it's awesome, and it's it's entirely that like it, it makes you realize because professional wrestling you know you know that they're it's it's not real but you'd think that well they're in they're doing stage fighting in a way so they must know how to fight so the idea behind brawl for all just for anyone who doesn't know what i'm talking about in the late 90s in the wwe it can bear in mind that events. it's taken this long for us to get onto wrestling by the way <laughs> i've got an article <laughs> it's here taken about 40 to, minutes <laughs> if we've got time but the brawl for all, um, this right of Vince Russo, he had a personal grudge against JBL, who was always walking around the ch- changing rooms, just talking about how tough he was and stuff. And so, just like a bully, Vince Russo, in a kind of very vindictive move, 
came up. Oh, and they also wanted to introduce this new wrestler called Dr. Death, Steve Williams. And they wanted to establish him as being like a legit badass because I think he was transitioning over from MMA. Yeah. So Vince Russo's idea is, is we'll have like a genuine boxing match between our, between our sort of mid-carders and our roster. And that way, Steve Williams can show he actually knows how to fight. And uh, 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 I can also shut up JBL by having him get knocked out on, like in the first minute. And so um, what they didn't bank on the fact is, so they, they approached all these wrestlers and they basically gave them danger money. They said, look, it's, a, you know, it's going to be a real fight, so you're going to be taking real hits, you'll be wearing gloves, but we'll bump your pay up this week by 500 bucks or whatever. So you had all these kind of people like the Godfather and Bart Gunn, all these kind of real battlers, jobber guy, kind of guys just taking, taking on these roles. And it was meant to be a vehicle for Steve Williams. Yeah. But in the very first, and so you watch these fights and they're terrible. Like these guys, they look great, but then when they actually have to throw, they throw punches like you and I would throw punches. Just these like wild kind of, you know, just like uh, uh, um, um, haymakers and, yeah, and, and yeah. no skill, and they're exhausted after like thirty seconds. Like they're they're all gassed, and then they're falling into each other and tripping over, and it's just like it just demissed any mystique that any of them had. Yeah, it just sure, evaporates sure. in a second. But then this disaster struck because Bart Gunn, who's this like total jobber knocks out Steve Williams in the, like genuine can fight Steve Williams, like just gets a lucky punch in and knocks him out in the first round. And so it completely fucking torpedoes the whole segment. Yeah, wow. So they have to keep going. So then they pit JBL against Bart Gunn. And so Bart Gunn knocks out JBL, so Vince Russo is kind of happy. But so Bart Gunn gets all the way to the end and, and wins the whole thing. But it's just been this fucking disaster and people have got like broken hands and like concussions, obviously, like before people were really taking concussions seriously. Um, and then Vince is so fucking mad at Bart Gunn for having knocked out Steve Williams that he just like punishes him by just, you know, making him do like black sh- like shows that aren't getting screened and all that kind of stuff. And then eventually Bart Gunn gets dropped and it's like he, he did exactly what they told him to do. He won this competition and for that he got like yeah, wow. shit game. Wow, I've got to watch that. I do, it's I do, really good. I do think sometimes like if I did get into a fight, uh, which I never have, but um, but like what wrestling move I would use <laughs> to nullify the opponent. And I think I, I, I think a reverse figure four. So What? There's no way you're getting a re- – that's a, so complicated. No, but I figure like if I'm in a figure four – like they can still punch me because they can lean forward and punch me. But if I flip yeah. it and also bear in mind, like a figure four, if you actually put pressure on, like you just yeah. go, I'll break your leg, mate. Like, Hey, you yeah, but you, the figure four relies on a slightly compliant opponent. Like you're going to need to hit oh, no, that. I poke him in the eyes first. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Scream. I'm a hemophilia. I figure that, I figure that or a sharpshooter wouldn't really like sharpshooter. I don't know if that would like, and that would be painful. That would stretch the thighs. You'd want to. You'd want to tear the thighs. I would just go it. straight for the million dollar dream. Uh, okay. Well, actually, I mean, well, you, wouldn't any, be, you wouldn't be out of line with a headlock, like any sleeper hold for that matter. Yeah. Like, I mean, choke because around. I think yeah, choke around the neck. Yeah. Well, it's just the easiest one to apply, and that person can be flailing. The thing about a figure four or any kind of arm lock or leg lock is that they're going to be. I mean, what the fuck are we even talking about? There's no. <laughs> universe in which you are successfully <laughs> applying a figure four leg lock on anyone, let alone someone who's trying to kill you. How cool would that be though? Like if there was like, just like a, a, a clip goes viral one day on Twitter and it's just like me getting, you know, Pearl Harbor by someone on a Saturday night. 
and I just instinctively put them in a reverse figure four and they, they break their leg and I would just walk away. I wonder if, I mean, with the hours and hours of like, you know, YouTube amateur fights caught, I wonder there must be one where there's like a, an actual WWE wrestling move caught on camera and being effective, you'd like imagine. someone doing like a, you'd imagine. like a ghetto blaster or something like that. I mean, if you could get a pole driver, like that's on their head. So that would be particularly, <laughs> that, would be, that would be particularly dangerous. Yeah. Uh, like it, it, I always like hate in movies when an, uh, a wrestler is transitioning to movies for the first time or, you know, maybe the first or second film and they'll find a way to put their signature, like, oh, yeah, you know, sure, The Rock sure. had to do a rock bottom in The Scorpion King <laughs> and Stone Cold had to do a stunner in The Condemned or whatever. <laughs> and just like, I hate that. Like we all know that those things don't work. In, well, I mean, apparently, one of us knows those things don't work in real life. Dude. Um, did you see uh, Vince McMahon has officially handed over the reins to Triple H? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, there's a lot going on there. I, yeah, so I just wanted to read this article to you because I had no idea that, like, he had this history of fucking scandals. Yeah. Did you know about this? Uh, I mean, I don't know um, uh, what you read in the article, but, like, um, I mean, there was the the trial what 30 years Still ago now. A trial. Yeah. Um, yeah and i think there's been a lot of kind of almost kind of trumpian kind of we have an agreement with my wife and yeah I... he's paid 20 million dollars in hush money over the past 16 years uh up to four women have claimed um inappropriate behavior mm. <laughs> uh okay so uh, allegations reported in the journal against McMahon, which date back to 16, uh, around 16 years, include claims of unsolicited nude photos and one former WWE wrestler alleging McMahon uh, coerced her into oral sex. It doesn't surprise. It doesn't surprise me. Like of all the kind of CEOs who are going to be like, you know, they're eventually cancelled, does it come as a surprise to you that it's Vince McMahon? No, no. And I think also like um, um, uh, I, I think because it's like a public company that if it was if he owned the whole thing and was like you know i can do what i want but like it's it's a is that right yeah it's a public company so it's like shareholders and um and i think he actually used money from the company to pay these things and so they're going like nah mate you're bad news go away right that's yeah. uh, so that's what miramax did as well that's like a harvey weinstein well thing. i think he was I, using actually company I, money. I actually imagine that vince and harvey have some things in common um, oh yeah. So yeah, it sounds so, like it. Yeah, yeah. Um, but um, uh, but yeah, it's it's clear that they've they've gone. He's he's gone. I've retired, and they're like, Nah, you've been shown the door, mate. They've gone. Well, it's just do, you, do you think at the end of the day, though? Do you think Stephanie looked at him and said, "You're fired." <laughs> I just hope that it happened in the middle of a ring because, as we know, all contract negotiations, all boardroom meetings have to take place no, in the it's, ring. It's all it's all very full on, yeah. Um, so how long do, though, do you think? Because there's, there's always a point with wrestling where they will leverage off the real-life scandal in order to get some heat, like, you know, in a kayfabe kind of way. How long? It's still raw now, obviously, but there will be a point it's where some wrestler who's trying to kind of like, you know, mock – Stephanie or Shane or something. Uh, true. Go, yeah. You know. True. Yeah. Yeah. I um, I uh, feel like yeah, like the well, the idea would be that is he still running it, but just without the name and the title. You know what I mean? 
Um, mm. But uh, yeah, no, I think they've uh, I think they've had to had to move on pretty quickly. I think, uh, and just be like, oh, well, that's that's over. Yeah, well, let's uh, let's let's end that bit and uh, let's move on. Yeah, Triple H has done all right, hasn't he? Considering where he came from, like when you watch any of those wrestling documentaries, no, which no, is I think he's a blue blood. He was under Hurst Helmsley. But my favorite genre of wrestling at the moment is is generally documentaries. I, I don't think I really watch much in ring stuff anymore, but yeah. I love a wrestling documentary. Yeah, yeah. And they so often have horrible, horrible ends to them. Like it's just not, it's just not a career that generally ends well for most people. Oh, it's kind of like you know he you know filled an arena with seventy thousand people and then you know died in a sleeps in his caravan. Car. Like yeah, when yeah. he was like fifty five. Yeah, sure. Just. Also, the injuries too, yeah, yeah. like the way that have you you haven't gone to see Mick Foley yet? Is he come? When's that show? Uh, I think he's there in about three or three weeks or so. Yeah, so I'm hoping to get a ticket, but I'm I'm not sure if I'm going to be in Melbourne or Sydney yet uh, for that date. So I got to play by you, kind of closer to the date, and hope it doesn't sell out. But um, yeah, my very I, my I, very I, good friend. It's Mick hard Foley. to your good mate Mick Foley. My it's hard to watch friend. him walk around. Just knowing, like, how fucked up his body must be. Well, I think he's okay now. Like, it's, uh, to give a background, like, um, uh, it's about a decade ago now. Like, I uh, had a mate of mine who um did a tour with McFoley, and um and had mates who were producing the show, and so I had to work that day, so I couldn't see the show, but um wandered by the theatre at the end of the night, and um and Mick was doing his kind of meet and greet out the front, um well not out the front, but like in the in the theatre, but like not like on the sidewalk. Mm. And um and my, my Brendan was like, oh, we're going to go to dinner afterwards. You want to come? And I was like, in my head, I'm like going like, I want to go to that very much. <laughs> <laughs> and so I had dinner with Mick Foley. And um, but we walked out the back of the theater to get in the car to go to the restaurant. And he had to go up about ten steps. And it was like, oh. he was like, dude, he was broken. He was broken. Oh. But but I think since then, like he's had like knee replacements and hip replacements and stuff. Um, yeah. But um. But his main concern is like his head because he's like, I got a lot of concussions and a lot of stingers and um, you know, you know, back in the day like we didn't really think much about it. So he's like, there's a certain uh, what's it TCE? They talk about concussions like with uh, NFL players and stuff. CTE. CTE maybe yeah. And um and it's got a complicated name. And he's like, mm. as long as I can keep saying that. That means I'm okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, no, he'll be coming out doing shows in August. Do yourself a favor, but don't buy tickets before me because I want to get to okay. <laughs> It's just, yeah, I, I watch those hardcore matches, especially in those like independent oh, dude. leagues. Yeah. I just don't get it. Like, I don't understand. I mean, I guess there's, I get it from this sort of freak show aspect of mm. it. Like, that's why people are going. Mm. But if you're someone who, like if you're treating this as a career, like how far are you going to go if you're the pizza cutter guy? Yeah, yeah. The guy who cuts oh, his dude. mouth and his forehead with a pizza cutter. And then you've got you to know, go or bigger or and bigger. Smash fluoro tubes. Yeah, like that shit. There's another darker side of the ring that you'll probably get to. I can't remember the dude's name, but like he's made his name in those in those really like off Broadway yeah, yeah. independent uh, like death matches with its like fluoro tubes and barbed wire. Um, you know, ropes and it's just like, it's fucking hard to sit through. Yeah. yeah. But he loves it. Mm. Like he gets off on it. And I guess it's some weird, like adrenaline rush. Yeah, it must be. Yeah. 
Um, I do. I've done a couple of shows with um, uh, a mate who does like a wrestling trivia show, like comedy show. And um, mm. for the one I did last time, um, there was a deathmatch dude who like does those things on the in the local circuit. And just for the finale, they kind of brought out the barbed wire baseball bat and kind of like whacked a guy. It was all like, you know, planned and stuff. Um, but I actually touched the barbed wire baseball bat and I was like, oh, no, that's actually real. barbed wire. Yeah. Like, that actually is properly painful. Yeah. And the thumbtacks are real as well. Yeah. Like they, you see him just like picking out like 100 thumbtacks. And, and I'm like, the thing of professional wrestling that blows my mind is at some point, that person has gone to their parents and their friends and gone, hey, yeah, I want to pursue this thing. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> There's like a good chance I might end up in a wheelchair <laughs> or with like permanent brain injuries or whatever. There's like a 0.555% that I'll become a millionaire. Well, yeah, but, I mean, it's but, like, um, you know, the odds of like making it to the NFL or NBA, you know? Yeah. Like. Um, well, even less though, right? Like there'd be le- there'd be. Although I guess there's depends on the level you want to get to, but that's why like if you're one of these deathcore guys, like you're not getting picked up by AEW or the WWE. Yeah, yeah. So what's the plan here? Yeah, yeah. What you want to be? I think it was like a WrestleMania weekend because, like, you know, when they have WrestleMania, like they all the independent companies come and do shows there because they're all all the fans are there, so they they kind of make a weekend of it. You know what I mean? What you mm. want to be? Um, I saw a great one on YouTube, and it was like um, the Invisible Man versus invisible Stan, and so it was literally like a referee in the ring and like invisible man would come out and then invisible Stan would come and people were like boo and boo invisible Stan. but even so much like they and it was all on the ref like he was like always directing kind of yeah. like what's going on in a way and that you know, i think invisible man got up on a balcony and jumped off onto Invisible <laughs> But I, th- I th- actually think he jumped off into the crowd. And so the crowd pretended like they caught him. <laughs> and then the final move was that um, they had a table in a corner and they had it rigged. And so someone pulled a cord or something. And so like mm-hmm. Invisible Man threw Invisible Stan through the table and they kind of pulled the cord and like the table broke. And everyone's like, ah. That's great. But like the referee was like doing like one, two, and like, you know, shoulder up and then like one, two, shoulder up. It was hilarious. Yeah. Do you know who Orange Cassidy is? Have you seen any of his matches in AEW? See the guy who puts his hands in his pockets? Yeah, yeah. his whole, he's like the sloth. His whole yeah. shtick is that he doesn't put in any effort, but he still like manages to pull up all the moves, but just with complete minimum effort. He's awesome. I've seen some of his, if you go on YouTube and watch some of his earlier matches when he's playing like, you know, school gyms and stuff, they're amazing. Like it's so creative. Uh, hey, Michael, I got to go. Um, thank you for a very quick faux fop. I've got to go rescue my daughter and put her into a house that's filled with only partially secured furniture. Yeah, sure. Um, have you anything you need to plug, anything you're working on, anything you want to direct people to, podcasts, for instance? Mate, the Junk Time Alpha podcast is going great guns. And we're going to have a live show for the um, a live show uh, uh, Sunday, August 28th, uh, 4 p.m. at the European Beer Cafe. You can get tickets at trybooking.com. Uh, it's our... Um, um, second live show of the year um, and uh, coincides with the um, the uh, round one of the AFLW and uh, I can't wait to Excellent. go and watch the Hawks and the Bombers on the Saturday night before it. All right. Well, I'll put a link in the episode description below. But for now, I'm Charlie Clawson. I'm Michael Chamberlain. <laughs> <laughs> no question, Mark. <laughs>